0: Take your Bibles, let's go over to Galatians chapter five. We're making our way through the um, series called The uh, Ordinary Revolution, and today we're gonna take our third step regarding the practice of the ordinary. My guess is that you did not realize how many things had to work in order for you to get to church this morning. Uh, For instance, you had to set an alarm and you had to listen to it, right? You got up, you flipped the light switch in the bathroom, and look, the power was on. You went downstairs and somebody had thought to get enough milk so that you could have milk for your cereal you turned the coffee pot on and filled it with coffee and and uh it, lo and behold it still worked despite all the scale that's in the water in our city um not saying anything about anyone who works in the power plant but i'm just saying so or um you got in your car you turned the key and suddenly the car starts you got came to church went through some traffic lights they were all operating and, Then you come here and then all of us had the same experience. We had hundreds of thousands of things that all worked well today, and you probably took every single one of them for granted until the day when one of those things doesn't work, and you experience the annoyance of extraordinary when suddenly the thing that you've come to expect either isn't there or isn't operational. The fact of the matter is there's something rather ordinary about things that just work. In fact, I would argue that ordinary really is just things that you expect to work all the time. And as it relates to your walk with Christ, let me have you think about the question this way. Does your Christianity work? When you think about where you're at today from a spiritual perspective, what's what's working and what isn't? If I were to ask you, so diagnose your spiritual life What kind of answer would you give? Or if I could ask you, if you were to grade yourself from a spiritual perspective, what grade would you give? Or what's going well in your life from a spiritual perspective? What sins are you seeing diminished? What new fruit in your life is being surfaced? Now, I know that we all come to that question, does Christianity work for you from a couple different vantage points? Probably at least three. First, there are some of you who would say, hey, Christianity doesn't work for me because I'm not a Christian, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I, I hope that as I walk through Galatians 5 today, my prayer for you, my agenda for you, is that you would become a follower of Jesus. you become a Christian today. I hope to show you today what that life actually looks like, and I hope you are wooed today to come to Christ. Secondly, it may be that you're here, and if you're honest, you would say, you know what, straight up, my Christianity is not working I call myself a Christian, but the fact of the matter is there's a bunch of things in my life that consistently are just dogging me. There are things that I am falling into that I know I shouldn't, and if you're honest, you would just say, yeah, it's, it's not working. And then there's others of you that you're a follower of Jesus, and you feel like you've made good progress, but you know, yeah, I've made progress, but there's a long way to go yet. And I, I want to finish the race, I wanna cross that tape and I wanna say that I've completed the race that God has given me and I've become as godly and as righteous as I possibly can in this lifetime. Now at the end of the service, we're gonna give you a chance to respond and kind of do something with what we're talking about today. So I'm not asking you this question theoretically, I really want you to think about it. The reality is, I hope you know, that God cares more about your Christianity than even what you do. He's so jealous for it, he so longs for it that he sent his son to be able to make your relationship with him possible. And what we're discovering in this thing that we're calling the ordinary revolution is that the Christian life is far more ordinary maybe than what we even realize and that there are incremental steps that we all need to take, which is why we're giving you a weekly challenge, and so after the service today, you need to go and get your third weekly challenge that um, you're participating in, and then if you have opportunity to share that around your family dinner table, or in a small group, or something of that sort, because our aim is to help you discover what does the ordinary Christian life really look like. Now there are eight marks of the ordinary Christian life that I wanna talk about this morning eight marks of the ordinary Christian life from Galatians chapter five. The first is not found in the text that we read, but it's in Galatians five, and it is this. The first mark of the ordinary Christian life is that of freedom. There is a positional reality underneath what it means to be a Christian. In fact, the entire... Book of Galatians is written in order to make that case about how you are to be free in Christ. Let me show you a couple texts. Look at chapter five and verse 13. We see the word freedom emerge here. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for for the flesh. So he identifies here that there's a, a freedom that he is offering to them. And then look at chapter five and verse one. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is Paul talking about? Here's what he's talking about. That foundational to a Christian's life, foundational to Christianity, foundational to making Christianity work is an understanding that there is a freedom that is given to those who are in Christ that is based upon the finished work of Jesus. That his death on the cross as your payment for sin, free you from condemnation, from the penalty of your sin, and from the guilt that you deserve because of that sin. And through Christ, in effect, people are forgiven. And so the ordinary Christian life starts with coming to terms with positionally, Jesus has bought your freedom. So you need to know that Christianity doesn't work unless you have put your faith in Jesus, unless you start from this foundational reality of freedom in him. And that's why we started in John 15 about what it meant to abide in Christ and what it means not only to abide in Christ, but Paul here says what it means to be crucified with Christ. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I love this verse. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or in a word, I am free. I am free from guilt and condemnation and judgment and from my own sin because Jesus paid it all. That's the point. There's a connection between being crucified in Christ and how you live. And the foundational reality of Christianity is that there is a freedom that is offered to us. Like Horton in his book, Ordinary, he says this, the gospel produces peace and empowers us to live by faith. We are no longer anxious, but secure and invigorated because we are crucified and raised with Christ. We are no longer trying to live up to the starring role we've given ourselves. but We are written into the story of Christ. We have nothing to prove, just a lot of work to do. Good works are no longer seen as a condition of our union with Christ, but as its fruit. We are no longer slaves, but the children of God, co-heirs with Christ, our elder brother. So I just want to remind you that we start with freedom. (laughs) Secondly, the Bible calls what we do a walk. Verse 16, but I say, now he says but I say in light of what we just talked about, this beautiful freedom, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I love the fact that while the gospel is ripe with big concepts like justification and atonement and forgiveness and freedom, the way you live it out is you walk. I just, I love that. What could be more ordinary than walking? I think that's why Paul chooses this term. The the Greek word peripateo means an all-encompassing and yet common activity. It basically means how you live your life. So the idea is nothing extraordinary, just walk, live, be led by, keep in step with the Spirit whereas Paul says in Colossians 2:6 therefore as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord as you have received him so walk in him the idea of walking was a historical reality in Paul's day so much so that they called the students of Aristotle the walkers or In Greek, it was the peripatetics, those who walked along, because what they did, they just kind of walked along with their teachers, wherever he went, they went, and that's the idea. As applied to the Christian life, the word walking is the essence of ordinary Christianity. It means that we take the teachings of Jesus, we take the life of Jesus, take the actions of Jesus, take the mind of Jesus, and we incorporate them into every arena of our life such that no area of our life is untouched by the beauty and the power of Jesus. So we talk about a relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 5 says this, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the key then, church, is not making the Christian life more complicated than what it was meant to be. Some of you are making it way too complicated. The Christian life is as simple and yet as transformational as figuring out how do I be an imitator of Christ Wherever he has placed me and whatever relationships I have and whatever state of life I'm in. So it doesn't matter if you're a child or if you're a senior citizen, if you're married, if you're single. You're to take the life of Jesus and you live it out. It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, if you're 40, if you're 60. 18 or 68, you just figure out how do I live the life of Jesus in light of where I am and what God's called me to do. Doesn't matter if you're in the middle of suffering or if life's going really well. Doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a big job change or you're at the top of your career. You just take the life of Jesus and it infects every arena and it's a part of every season of life. So if you're a child, you live like Jesus as you relate to your siblings. Yes. How you relate to your siblings is directly related to how you love Jesus. Children, you get the opportunity to love Jesus by loving the brothers and sisters who you didn't get to choose in your home. <laughs> you also get to obey your parents and you didn't get to choose them. You get to honor your teachers, even the mean ones who teach math. You get to play with your friends and embed the life of Jesus into all of those relationships. If you're a teenager, You live like Jesus, listen to me, and how you hang out with your friends, how you respond to your parents, what you post online, how you act on the soccer field, in the classroom, or how you serve people when you're behind the counter at Chick-fil-A. If you're a college student, the Christian life has profound influence on how you live in your fraternity or your sorority. What you do when you're tailgating before the big game and your conversations with your friends when you're out on a Friday night, and what decisions you make regarding your moral issues. If you're a single adult, you live like Jesus in the friends that you make and the friends that you keep. You live like Jesus in how you conduct yourself at work and how you handle the whole dating scene and how you battle loneliness. If you're married, you live like Jesus in how you love your spouse, in all of his or her imperfections, how you care for your children if God has given you them, and how you conduct yourself at work in your neighborhood. The point is actually very simple but very profound. It's this, that the Christian life is simply a life that works in light of the gospel, and it works in every arena of life. Do not underestimate the power and the impact of simply living like Jesus in every arena Christianity is not just a series of major life decisions. It's certainly major life decisions, but even more importantly, Christianity is about a thousand decisions made every single week in your life. Christian life, then, is a walk. So it's a freedom, it's a walk. Third, there's something here related to the Spirit. I say then, walk by the Spirit. What's the Spirit's role in all of this? Well, the Spirit is a very important part of the dynamic of the ordinary Christian life, the third person of the Trinity. What's the Spirit's role in the world? Here's how J.I. Packer says it. The Spirit's ministry, the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry at this time or any time in the Christian era is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Spirit's role is to make much of Jesus. It's to be the presence of Jesus, to make much of him. In fact, I love how Tim Keller says it. If you were to walk into the Holy Spirit's room, all you'd see in the wall are pictures of Jesus. He loves Jesus, wants to exalt Jesus, make much of Jesus, and what the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to do that in you. He wants the wall of your mind to have the pictures of Jesus, to have him be the thing that you love and long for. It's to have Jesus is to have the Spirit, and to have the Spirit is to have Jesus. To have the Spirit is to, ha- is to be a son of God. It is to be sealed as God's children. It's the Spirit that's involved in things like regeneration, conviction, comfort, intercession, sanctification, spiritual gifts, the unity of the body, and assurance. And that's just a short list of all the things the Spirit has done and still is doing in our lives. So To walk by the Spirit, then, means that the ordinary Christian life is birthed by, empowered by, encouraged by, guarded by, and continued by the personal presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It means that the Christian life, friends, is as simple as living under the authority and the influence and the guidance of the Spirit. It's by jumping into the resources of the Spirit like Bible reading and prayer and community and Lord's Supper and fasting and giving and service and corporate worship that we enter into the Spirit's work. Such, so much so that Second Peter 1.3 says we have everything we need for life and godliness. Do you know what that means? Listen to me, it means that you don't lack a single resource to grow spiritually. There's nothing you lack today to take the step that you need in order to follow after Jesus. You don't lack a single thing that you need in order to be godly and righteous. You have everything you need right now. So the question is, then why aren't you growing or growing more? What's holding you back? What is it that you think you need? The answer, according to the Bible, is there's nothing more that you need. Everything you have, you have right now through the gospel, through the word, through the spirit and the community of faith, we have the opportunity and the privilege to grow. And so I hope this message today spurs you on to say, I'm going to grow. I'm going to go and read my Bible on tomorrow morning and meet with Christ, and I'm going to grow, grow, grow in a way I haven't grown before. Freedom, walk the spirit. Here's the fourth thing. There's a promise here. What a promise it is. I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Got stuff in your life you don't want to do anymore? Got things you don't want to say anymore? Got things you think about you don't want to think about anymore? Got patterns in your life? You're like, I want this stuff out of my life. You know how you do it? How you deal with it? Walk by the Spirit. The way that the flesh is conquered. There's a promise here. The promise is that the way that the flesh is conquered and the way that true obedience happens and the way, according to verse 18, that you even fulfill the law, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The way that all of these things happen is because of a God-taught, Spirit-wrought Christ-likeness. It means that you come to see the beauty of what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And the effect of this is that over time, the flesh's hold on you gets less and less, and the Spirit's control becomes more and more evident. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does it mean to live? It means that I can look at my life and see straight up I'm a different person. Look, I got new desires, I got new longings, I got new things coming out of my mouth that wouldn't have been there 10 years ago were it not for the Spirit's work. And true, it's not been everything that I would have wanted it to be, but I can look at my life and say, I'm a different person because Jesus has changed my life. And by walking by the Spirit, I've seen the hope of the promise that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When I came here seven, eight years ago, I told you a story of of how... um, One of the first lessons I learned in marriage, I learned kind of the hard way. My wife, I came home and she was disturbed and troubled about something. I I sat on the couch and began listening to her story and as she began to tell her story, I knew exactly what she needed to do immediately. After all, she was far too emotional, wasn't thinking it clearly enough and, and didn't know the Bible as well as I did. So I began to explain to her what exactly she needed to do. I interrupted her in the midst of her sharing her heart and basically said, "Honey, here's what you need to do, enough. Here's what you need to do. And, um, and at that moment she gave me this really, not strange, concerning look. And uh, I said, what's the matter? And She said, who, who are you right now? And that's when I knew this was gonna be a lifelong lesson, right? So, and I said, what do you, what do you mean? She said, well, who are you, my counselor or my husband? I was like, oh boy, here we go. And as, so I said, okay, well, who do you want? <laughs> and she said, I'd like my husband. And I said, okay, okay, I guess. And if, if he was here, what would he be doing? And, and, and then she said, well, he'd be, he'd be listening and not talking. And, and this true story, I said, okay, wait a minute. So I got up and I left and I walked out of the room and I came back in, we started the whole conversation over again, and I just, I listened. So that was like 1990, four, right? So about a few months ago, nearly the same kind of conversation happened. We're sitting on the couch, and she's sharing her heart and everything else, and I was silent like for 15 minutes. I didn't say anything, and I'm listening, and I actually, I enjoyed it which was kind of scary, all right? So I, I listened to all of this. She got done. I, uh, I helped her. I, I was empathetic. I understood. She walked away, and I thought to myself, yes! <laughs> Nailed it, right? And then I realized it's taken me 20 years to get that conversation right. 20 years of incremental steps of getting to this point where I could actually not only listen, but enjoy listening, keep my mouth shut, and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. So my point is this, there is a promise that is here, and I know that your Christian walk is far more incremental than you would want, but the fact is, it's incrementally changing, and over a period of your lifetime, God's changing you. And because of that, there's a great hope, there's a great promise. It may not be happening as fast as you want, But the fact of the matter is if you agree with this promise and you you grab a hold of it and say, look, I'm gonna walk by the Spirit, you can not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what's the hope of this? The hope is it brings life. That conversation brought life to my marriage. The previous one, 20 years earlier, brought death. I don't want death in my marriage. I want life. I don't want death in my, my, my walk with the Lord. I want life. So this is why You have to be careful what you put in your mind, what you look at, what you watch, what you read, what you talk about, who you hang with, where you go, what you do, because those things lead to death. You walk by the Spirit, produces life. Here's the fifth one. text also tells us there's a war. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This verse is so incredibly helpful. It's helpful because of what we learn. We learn that there are two realms. There's the realm of the spirit and the realm of the flesh. We also learn that there's a battle going on and that battle zone is at the desire level. The text says, the desires of the flesh are against, implied, the desires of the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against, implied, the desires of the flesh. So in other words, there is a battle, listen to me, not just for what you do. No, no, it's more, it's deeper than that. The battle is in regards to what you want. That's the issue. And how do you change what you want? You can't, but Jesus can. That's why the Bible describes conversion as a new birth, a new heart, being born again. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, what does the gospel offer to you? Here's what the the gospel offers to you. It offers you the one thing you cannot change on your own, and that is what you want and what you desire. The war is at the desire level. The flesh and spirit are opposed to each other and then finally this battle then manifests itself in our actions or in our inactions. In other words, the Christian life is a constant battle at the most foundational level of our existence and it affects what we desire and what we do. So is that how you think about the Christian life if you're a follower of Jesus? Do you think of it as a battle? Do you think of it as a war? To me, understanding that is helpful at multiple levels. First, it's helpful because it helps to set our expectation as we go out into the world that every day that we're awake and alive, we are not in an environment that's safe. There's no safe area. Church isn't even safe. We live in the midst of an environment filled with the flesh, sin, and the devil, and we face struggles, temptations, and even sin And in that, we need to be reminded that the ordinary Christian life is essentially a war. So when you're in a war, don't freak out. Because that is what the Christian life is. You're like, it's so hard. For marriage, you're like, it's so hard having two independently-minded people who try and figure out how to love one another. And I'd be like, yeah, welcome to marriage. Happy day, So. You're like, you got kids and they're so disobedient and they don't listen and et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, welcome to parenting. I gotta walk around the world and I gotta fight all kinds of temptations, and everything else. This is what the Christian life is. And at the same time, the hope of the Bible is this. At the end of the day, it's not just that we're in a battle, it's that the king of kings is gonna win the war and one day he'll come and make every wrong right, sin will be defeated and we will reign with him forever and ever. But in the meantime, get over the fact that you're in a battle. We're in a war, the flesh is opposed to the spirit. Secondly, it helps in that it reminds us that true Christians are those who constantly battle. Some of you have in your mindset that true Christians kind of arrive at sort of this spiritual plane where they never struggle and never sin and never have any issues, things of that sort. And then you come to church, everyone looks like they're all nice and clean cut and everything else. You dig down in any of our lives, you will find enormous elements of dysfunction. Every family has huge sin issues. Every every person in here has huge, enormous struggles. And what's beautiful about the Christian life is to be reminded that we are all fellow strugglers, that the normal, ordinary Christian life is not arriving at some level of perfection, it's that you never quit in the fight. And what's the church's role? The church is say, brother, get up, we gotta keep going. Get up, man. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep going. You got to keep parenting. You got to keep loving your spouse. You got to keep battling loneliness. You got to fight that, that sin issue in your life. You got to fight and fight and fight and never quit until you run across the finish line and Jesus welcomes you. home. You get to rest for all of eternity. But until then, we're in a war. And the point is that the normal Christian life is a struggle, a fight. So if you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, man, just fighting all the time, I'm telling you, brother or sister, what you are experiencing is the ordinary Christian life. So be Encouraged and don't quit. Number six, freedom, walk, spirit, promise, war, morality. Verses 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're obvious. Like these are inarguable. These are the things that they're not good. No one's going to read this list and go, wow, I wish my kids were like this. No one's going to read this list and go, these things are really awesome. No one's going to read this. Paul is saying, these are the things you don't want in your life. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then in case you're like, oh, I don't have any of those things, and things like these. (laughs) It gives you no, no back door and anything close to this. Look, look this is, these are the things as, as to why we need laws, why we need courts and prisons. We'll look at the fruit of the Spirit in a minute. You don't need any laws as it relates to love or joy. I mean, you don't need a rule that says, hey, just, that's a little excessive in your joy, right, <laughs> or patience, Okay. That's illegal patience. I mean, what is that, right? You, the, the, patience and love and joy seems to a moment are so beautiful, and what Paul says here is that there's a clear line in the same, and then verse 21 is, is, is very serious. He says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, so this is like when your mom and dad say that to you, they're like, hey, I warned you, as I warned you before, you know what comes next is like, like serious. And he says it, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean? He means this, that if the ordinary pattern of your life is things like this on the list, and I don't mean just like you you failed or you struggled or you blew it, but like, like the ordinary pattern of your life are these things, and Paul says there's a problem, a big problem, not just a moral problem, but like a spiritual problem that has an eternal problem connected to it. And why is that? Here's why. Christianity is tied to a morality. Theology creates ethics. And the ordinary pattern of the Christian life is to be marked by a biblical morality. So therefore, if your Christianity doesn't work, like the ordinary pattern of your life is more like verses 19 to 21 than it is verses 22 to 23, there's a big problem, and it's not just what you do. The problem, friend, is more like who you are. Like if you're even a Christian. Because why? Because Christianity, it works. Number seven, there's eight marks. Here's the seventh, fruit. Now the opposite of the immorality of the previous verses is now the fruit of the Spirit. And notice, it's not the fruits, like there's more than one. It's one fruit with many components. And what are they? fruit of the Spirit, this, this list is incredible. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Why is there no law? Because these things are awesome, that's why. You go out to lunch today, you're sitting around a little table, eating your sandwich, and there's loving conversations happening. There's joy in your home. There's patience with one another, patience with the clerk as she gets the order wrong long-suffering, there's a sense of gentleness when she doesn't give you the change back just right, self-control in terms of what you say, you are going to be weird in the world. People will look at you and be like, what gives with you? You're like an alien. Why? Because the deeds of the flesh are so normal and the fruit of the Spirit is so rare. The essence of Christianity is that something is different inside of you. Notice that these words, love, peace, patience, it's not so much about what we do, it's more character-based. It's like who you are. And that's what's wonderful about through the Spirit is that God begins to change something in your heart that the kind of things that used to make you angry and self-centered, now actually you kind of let loose on and you're like, you know, it doesn't matter because I, I don't need this. And you become more concerned about other people. The kind of things that used to make you depressed and angry because you had this idea of what your life's supposed to be like, suddenly now you have joy, even in the midst of trials and temptations and tribulations. Things that used to make you really impatient, suddenly now you're like, well, must be the Lord knows that I need this in my life, so I'm just going to trust him in this. And there is this fruit of the Spirit that's coming out of your life that is supernatural because you know there's no way that you could produce it on your own. The ordinary Christian life works and it works by producing this kind of spiritual fruit in our lives. Is that what your life looks like? When you hear things like peace and patience, kindness. If I was to ask your friend, your, the guys that you live with in your apartment, or your spouse, or your kids, does, does dad look like patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? Is that working? If not, why? And, and maybe just... It's not like it's entirely broken, but maybe just another step needs to be taken that today as you hear the word and as you're opening your heart to the spirit that God's just putting his finger on your life and just going, look man, the bottom line is you need to love people. Like I've loved you, you need to love your spouse, love your kids, I love yourself. You need to be patient, like your agenda is so tight that no matter what, everything happens, it's all about your particular plan and God maybe today is just saying to you, look, release your plan because I'm God, you're not. The Christianity is fundamentally saying, look, I'm gonna walk by the Spirit. And then finally, number eight. I seriously, I think this may be my, may be my favorite point of, of all of them. It's the word hope from verse 24. I love this. The final mark comes out of verse 24. It serves like a bookend from verse 16. And it says this. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what that means? I love that word belong. Belonging, the word belong isn't even in the text. The the Greek literally reads, those who are of Jesus Christ, like they're out of him, like they so belong to him that they're one essence with him. It means, if you're a Christian, listen to me, If you're a Christian, it means you belong to Jesus. You're his. And you know why you're his? Because he went to the depths of where you couldn't go to be able to reach you and rescue you, not just from your sin. He came to rescue you from yourself and your sin. So he went to go to your heart level. He bought and paid for your sins, suffering the separation from God that you deserve so he could claim you as his own. And when he claims you as his own, he's never gonna let go of you and he's not gonna let sin or devil or the hell or or hell or anything around you take over your life because you belong to him. And one of the confessions that you need to remind yourself in the ordinary Christian life is this, I belong to Jesus. When suffering or hardship comes and the devil thoughts come into your head or temptations come across your way from the enemy that says, God doesn't love you. If you would, he wouldn't let this things happen to you. You need to remind yourself, I belong to Jesus. When temptations come across your path, and are like, hey, why don't you come do this for a little while? Because after all, this will really fulfill you. You need to remind yourself, I belong to Jesus. He bought me, he paid for me, he owns me, and I am gonna follow him all the days of my life. I'm not gonna be perfect, but I am not gonna go there because Christ has bought me. And when you're discouraged and weary and you feel like giving up and like, I can't do this anymore, you need to remind yourself, God bought you, Jesus purchased you, you belong to him. So my question then is this. Does your Christianity work? Does it work like this? In its, in its practice, do you have this idea that it's some kind of mountaintop experience or is there an, an incremental working out of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? You may be here and you're not a follower of Jesus and I hope today that God by his spirit will just open your heart and just say, you know what, I am, I am done trying to run my own life. I need, I need someone to change me so deep in my core I can't even get there without his help. And so you'd come and put your faith in Jesus. Secondly, you may be here as a follower of Jesus and if you're honest, you would just say, my my walk with Jesus isn't working real well. Third, it may be that you're here and you're, you're making progress, but you look at your life and say, you know what? God's been so kind to me, but there's a lot more that I wanna do. There's a lot more that I wanna grow You may have been entered into a new season of life and you're like, you know, in this season of life, I want God to fill me with his spirit. I want him to so, help me to walk with him so that I could really grow in ways that I could look back on my life and see him at work in significant and powerful ways. In a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to the Lord and so let's pray. Father, we pray now that you, by your spirit, would open, us to the, open our hearts to the work that you want to do within us. I pray that you would remind us not only that we belong to Jesus, but that there are things that even this very moment he wants to do in our lives. Thank you, God, that there's no hiding from you in this room. And so we just want to be laid bare before you in all of our weakness and all of our successes and say, God, we belong to you. Help us to follow after you.